Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for SCF Online today. And if you're watching this as it goes out live Sunday, September 5th, happy long weekend. Hope you're having an awesome weekend. Well, this morning's talk is going to be a little bit uh, different. Instead of just one talk, we wanna to touch on three things today. And those three things are, uh, importantly, communion. We wanna celebrate communion together. Secondly, we want to touch on, by way of introduction, what our new teaching series is going to be, the series called Reset. And the third thing I'd like to do is kind of piggyback on some things that Kathy had to say about Tattoo Gardens and about Haiti in general. So what we'll do is we'll kind of work uh, backwards. We'll start with Haiti and then we'll end with communion. Kathy alluded to uh, ways that Sobel Church has been uh, so generously engaged with Two Gardens over the last uh, 10 plus years, not just through uh, financial gifts, but in sending uh, teams of people, human resources to Two Gardens to do a number of projects, to build houses in surrounding communities, to um, enlarge Taitu's facilities, to um, hold an eyeglass clinic and a whole bunch of other things that teams from Sobel have uh, done. One thing though, Sobel Church, that you might not know, and this is very, very recent history, like just in the last very few weeks, Sobel Church has provided for life-saving surgery for the victim of a motorcycle accident in Haiti. This is Mr. Mackinson, uh, pictured here at the hospital in Port-au-Prince. Standing at his bedside is his son named Desir. And uh, Desir is the tutor at Taitu Gardens. Many of you who've been on teams to Sobel know Desir, you've, you've met him. And so Desir's dad had a serious motorcycle accident sustaining a very serious head injury requiring surgery. And so through the generous gifts to the kingdom work of Jesus, through a Sobel Church, this uh, vital surgery was able to be successfully performed on Mr. Mackinson. And uh, he's now eating and walking and talking. His vision continues to be uh, impaired, and so we're praying for full recovery. But were it not for your financial generosity, Sobel Church, uh, this would not have happened. Sobel Church, you provided 100% of the cost for this surgery. Haiti is, is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. This family, any number of families, would not have had even the first dollar, let alone the thousands of dollars needed for such a surgery. And so this is a beautiful expression of what we talked about last week, the kindness of agape, going out of your way to benefit another because they're worth it with no thought of what's in it for you. Beautiful, it changes our world. Sobel Church, way to go. This uh, picture, this is Chris and Chris. I met Chris on one of Sobel's mission trips to Taitu in 2014. And uh, Jean and I have been blessed to be able to sponsor Chris these last seven plus years to sponsor on a monthly basis through Taitu's school sponsorship program that Kathy spoke about. And uh, here's actually a more recent picture of Chris um, in the Mickey Mouse shirt or Minnie Mouse shirt. It's really hard to tell uh, which is which. But Chris will turn 10 years old this coming January. 
And friends, I wanted you to know that today, September 5th, 2021, there are five children needing sponsors so that they can go to school this fall. So this is an immediate need. One of the five children live at Taitu, and the other four live in the community, uh, just outside Taitu in the community of Simonette. This uh, cup is sitting here, not as a strategic uh, product placement, although that gives me some ideas. Um, this was a small coffee I bought it this morning in Kincardine at the Timmy's there to sip on on my morning commute from Kincardine to Sable Beach. It cost me $1.62. And you know that for less than the cost of this cup of coffee each day, you can sponsor one of these five children to be able to go to school. To sponsor a child from the village of Simonette, enabling them to go to school costs only $35 a month. To enable a child from Taitu to be able to attend school costs only $40 a month, less than the cost of a small cup of coffee per day. Would you be willing to invest in one of these five kids? Again, we're talking about the kindness of agape going out of your way to benefit another simply because they're worth it with no thought of what's in it for you. You probably never meet these kids. But would you be willing to invest in these children, to invest in their education, to invest in their future, which is really to invest in the future of this beautiful country that has experienced just hardship after hardship? If you are interested in uh, doing that, you can go to tie2gardens.com, www.tie2gardens.com, tie2t-y-t-o-o-gardens.com. You can uh, just click the contact button. You can put in your name and your information. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask, there's a place you can ask that question. If you want more information, you can ask for more information. If you just want to say, yep, I'm in, I want to sponsor one of these kids, you can do that. Too. Also, can I ask you to pray for the BIC Church in Haiti? Our denominational family, the BIC Church, has embraced, I think it's 15 churches in Haiti just over the last couple of years. And uh, some of these 15 churches, as I understand it, are located in the southwestern part of Haiti and were affected uh, to at least uh, some degree. Uh, by the recent hurricane and uh, earthquake. But one of these 15 churches is in Simonette, and that's the community where Taitu Gardens is. And the BIC church in Simonette is pastored by a really wonderful guy by the name of Patrice. I met Patrice in 2014 when, when I was there, and many of you who've been on trips uh, know Patrice uh, well. And Patrice pastors this BIC church in Simonette. It's a church of about 300 people. And Patrice has no um, regular support. And so our missions committee is uh, currently in conversations with our partners at BIC Canada Global and BIC Haiti to, to talk about strategies by which we can help support not only Patrice, but these other 14 uh, BIC pastors uh, as well. Would you pray about that? Would you pray that God would inspire this, uh, this conversation and that God would, would bring wisdom uh, to this? It sounds like it should be a really simple thing to do, but it's actually 
a rather complicated uh, set of circumstances. And you know, I really hope I'm not overstepping here. If I am, uh, I'm just going to play the rookie card. Hey, I'm the new guy. I didn't know any better. But I happen to know that the four children from Simonette that need to be sponsored for school right now are Patrice's four children. And again, friends, if we could meet these needs this weekend, like I would love it if after this weekend, all five of these children are sponsored to be able to go to school this fall, sponsored through SCF online people and SCF in-person people. Boy, if that happened, there would be such rejoicing at Taitu and certainly rejoicing at the home of uh, Patrice. Well, that's kind of the first uh, thing. Let's move on to number two, which is our reset uh, series introduction. And um, we're gonna take our, our current teaching series, which is Forward Together in Love, and we're gonna put it on hold for a little while. We're gonna come back to it, but it's gonna be on hold for now. And so what I wanna do right now is to introduce a new teaching series, a mini series, it's six weeks, um, and it's gonna begin two weeks from today. It's gonna to begin September 19th, and it's called Reset, Recapturing the Creative Simplicity of the Early Church. And uh, hopefully you've also heard by now that we're gonna be offering a six-week small group experience along with this uh, teaching series. So six Sunday afternoons, we're gonna press in a little more deeply into this reset material, which is gonna be based on a passage in Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47, actually. And the reason why we're calling this series Reset is because Acts 2, 42 to 47 is like, is like reset for the church. Have you ever had a tech device that you've had to reset back to factory settings? Well, Acts 2, 42 to 47 is like factory reset for uh, the church. Let me just read these verses right now. Acts 2, 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's six Awesome things in those verses, and uh, we're going to look at each of those six in the six weeks of reset. And so one of the reasons why we want to look at these verses this fall, fall 2021, is because these last 18, 19 months uh, during this highly disruptive season of COVID has caused uh, lots of churches, I'm sure including ours, to ask all kinds of questions. There's been just such uncertainty. And, um, you know, if you think back 18, 19 months, back to March of 2020, when everything shut down for the first time, 
you know, churches were experiencing this identity crisis. I know we certainly were in Kincardine. We had become so accustomed to having a building and to operating programs that once COVID broke those systems, we were left kind of scratching our heads. Who are we without our building? Who are we without our programs? Can we be the church without a building? Can we be the church without our programs? Well, this early church in Jerusalem that I just read about, well, they didn't have a building and they didn't have programs. What they did have, and I don't want this to sound cliche because it's anything but, they had Jesus and they had each other. And so I think it's really appropriate in this season for us to reconnect with this early church and to ask ourselves the question, what would it mean for us to press reset? and to recapture the creative simplicity of the early church, to recapture the spirit of the Acts 2 church. We read about Jesus in the Gospels and we know that he called 12 disciples to himself. Well, by the time you get to Acts chapter two, that number is now 120 disciples in Jerusalem, 120 disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. So Pentecost is, is like seven weeks after Passover. So Passover had taken place, and that's when Jesus was crucified and, and raised again from the dead. And then for the next 40 days, Jesus would, would appear. The resurrected Christ would appear to people. One time he appeared to over 500 people all at the same time. So Jerusalem has been just this, this buzz. And here we are seven weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has now ascended. And here are these 120 disciples in Jerusalem. They're there because Jesus asked them to stay there. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that my father has for you. And in Acts 2, that gift is poured out. It's the Holy Spirit. And these disciples are filled with the Spirit. And it's this incredible scene. The church is birthed and these disciples are just experiencing this incredible, powerful moving of the Spirit of God. And they're just asking the question, what comes next? What comes next in this incredible story of Jesus? What happens next? That's a great question. That's a great question for us to ask. What's coming next? Well, if you're familiar at all with Acts chapter 2, maybe you've read it uh, a few times, and, and maybe you know that Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon. He takes a, uh, takes a text from the book of Joel and um, he preaches this gospel message. It's, it's quite pointed, actually. He's preaching to largely a Jewish audience and, and he doesn't pull any punches. He says, uh, the first two words of his sermon, Jesus Christ, you killed him, but God has raised him from the dead, validating that everything Jesus said is absolutely true and he without a doubt is Lord. And it was amazing because 3,000 people responded in that moment to Jesus as Lord, receiving Jesus as Savior, surrendering their lives to Jesus, becoming followers of Jesus in one day. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people in one day. Some of you are thinking, wow, that would be awesome. What a blessing, uh, you know, hallelujah. That, that would be just an incredible, uh, incredible thing. I look at it 
from a pastoral standpoint, and I'd be like, this is a huge problem, right? This would be chaotic, I think. Like imagine, imagine if 3,000 people came to Christ and came to Sobel Church in one day. Like that would be crazy. So you'd have, you know, of these 3,000, maybe, maybe there's like 500 children. And so there's parents coming to Jenna saying, okay, there's gonna be 500 extra children in Sunday school this week. How many services would we have to actually do to have 3,000 uh, extra people maintaining social distance? Uh, I don't know, a lot. Imagine, um, you know, parents saying to our youth leaders, oh, by the way, there's going to be an additional 500 uh, youth at Wednesday night for youth um, this week. Better have some extra snacks. Uh, imagine 500 people who are musicians coming to our worship teams and saying, hey, we're musicians. We want in. Imagine our board having 500 membership conversations or 3,000 membership conversations or 3,000 conversations about baptism. It would be chaotic and overwhelming. Imagine 3,000 people coming to Mel and saying, Mel, we want offering envelopes. We want to be part of this giving system, add us into the accounting system. I actually think Mel would get that done um, surprisingly fast. But imagine 3,000 people all kind of pressing in and saying, hey, disciples, what's next? Here we are. Do something with us. I think it would be, I think it'd be crazy. And by the way, to make it more complicated, these 3,000 people, um, many of them were from outside of Jerusalem. If you were to look back to Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Luke tells us that uh, there are devout Jews from every nation, every nation who had come to Jerusalem for Passover. And now they're in town. You know, the Holy Spirit's poured out. The church is birthed. There's thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. Nobody's in a rush to go home. Now they need places to stay. Now they need food to eat. Now some of them are going to need jobs. Like this is a complicated situation. And somehow, somehow this group of 120 disciples, somehow they incorporated these 3,000 brand new believers into their midst. And if it weren't complicated enough, as I mentioned, these 3,000 came from many different places, but they also spoke many different languages. So there's a, a, a language barrier. They're coming from diverse and really culturally complex backgrounds. There's rich and poor. There's male and female. There's Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles who had um, become... Um, part of the, the, the worship system of Judaism, and now they're Jesus followers. Like, there's a lot of complex layers to all of that. And keep in mind, this early church did not have a building, and they did not have programs. They didn't even have a Bible. And even if they did have a Bible, the vast majority of these people are illiterate and wouldn't be able to read it anyway. Well, again, what did they have? And again, not cliche, they had Jesus and they had each other. And you know, as you read through Acts 2 and following, you don't find where any of these 3,000 got left out. None of them got left out. There was love enough to go around for everyone. And you know, these, these Christ followers in this Jerusalem church, these are our people. These are our 
ancestors. This is our story. Their story is our story. These are our first brothers and sisters in Christ. And they accomplished something absolutely remarkable. It's astounding. And they should be honored for that. And their, um, their work should inspire us and motivate us and, and stir us up. You know, the, the, the book of Acts is, is 28 chapters. In a sense, we are writing chapter 29 right now. Certainly not in a canonical sense, but in a historical sense and in the sense of what is the spirit up to right now in real time. Well, here's some good news for you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that is poured out in Acts chapter two, that same spirit is available to us right here, right now. And even as you're watching this online service, wherever you're watching from, the same spirit is available to you. Whether you're watching from Sobble Beach or Clavering or Wyerton or Owen Sound or Tara or Allenford or Southampton or Port Elgin, even in Dunblane, there's a shout out to the Earl and Lady of Dunblane, otherwise known as Dave and Andrea. <laughs> the same spirit is everywhere. And you know, for you, as part of Sobble Church, whether online or in person, the same spirit is available in our small groups as we meet. The same spirit is available when two people get together for mentoring or counseling or coaching or accountability. The same spirit is available to every one of our leadership teams, to every one of our committees. The same spirit is available to our board as, as they meet and plan and, and seek God. And I just feel like in this moment of time that the Holy Spirit is just waiting to be invited. And so in this series, Reset, we're gonna be talking about this early church. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people would call this early church radical, a very radical church. And I suppose they were because they did a lot of radical things. But I think there are some ways in which we kind of romanticize this uh, early church and I hope during the six weeks of reset, we can kind of de-romanticize it somewhat. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So th this early church, they have this, um, a lot of people talk about this early church that they were, they were devoted to community. They were devoted to community. And I think that's kind of a myth. I don't think they were devoted to community. They were devoted to Jesus. And it was Jesus that drew them together into community, that maybe sounds like kind of a minor distinction, but is really, really important. And I think that distinction was captured best by a very famous pastor in World War II Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said these words, whoever loves community will kill community. Whoever loves people will create community. And so here's this early church. They love Jesus. It's their collective love of Jesus, their common love for Jesus. That's what pulls them together into community. The passage in, in Acts 2 tells us they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to, to what the apostles taught about Jesus, including the very words of Jesus. A Jesus who taught that it's never okay to leave anybody out. A Jesus who taught that there's enough love to go around for everyone. You know, the words of Jesus, even in, in Acts 1, 8, where Jesus said, um, 
when you receive the Spirit, when you receive this gift that my Father is going to pour out on you, you're going, to, you're going to receive power so that you can be witnesses right where you are in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Why be witnesses? Because every person, every person is of unsurpassable worth, created in the image and likeness of God, worth Jesus dying for. It's their love for Jesus that pulls them into community and then propels them on mission. The passage says they were devoted to the fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia. It comes from the root koinos, which means common. They were compelled by, drawn together by what they held in common. And what did they hold in common? Jesus. They really had nothing else in common. They were so diverse, as we mentioned earlier. Well, I know in these days, there's lots of, I talk to other pastors and, and uh, you know, friends from other churches and, and people from our own church, and it seems like there's a lot of people in this moment who are kind of looking in the rear view mirror, kind of looking backwards and saying, when can we get back to what was? When, we can, when can we go back to 2019? And, you know, going backwards is not a strategy. Um, I, want to look, I want to look out the windshield. I want to look and see where are we going. I want to ask the question, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you doing in this moment? And how can we be part of what you're doing? Maybe you don't, uh, maybe you don't like car analogies so much. You like, um, like boat analogies. Think of a sailboat, uh, you know, Holy Spirit, how can we set the sail of our boat to catch the wind of what you're doing? See, spirit in, in Greek is pneuma, means wind. How do we set the sail to catch the wind of the spirit? Because the spirit is always blowing in the direction of, of Jesus. The story is moving forward. We don't want to be looking behind us. We don't want to look in the rearview mirror. We don't want to pine for what was, we want to be looking forward. God is doing new things. And so as we hit reset, yes, we want to recapture that creative simplicity of the early church, but we're moving forward. This is, a, this is the book of Acts, right? It's the book of action. It's, it's not the book of intentions. That would be a terrible name for this book. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of intentions or the book of ideas or the, the book of, of, of um, good intentions, right? It's, not the, it's the book of acts. It's the book of action. If we're looking in the rearview mirror, we're not going to be a church of action. We want to be looking out the windshield, looking forward, asking the question, Jesus, what are you up to in this moment? You know, speaking of that, after one of our in-person services last Sunday, I I chatted with some delightful people and one of them showed me her bracelet that she had on and it was a WWJD bracelet. Remember those? What would Jesus do? What a great question to ask. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do in, in that circumstance? A great question to ask. But as we chatted, we came up with what we felt was even a better question, a more appropriate question, not WWJD, but WIJD, not what would Jesus do if he were here, but what is Jesus doing? 
What is Jesus up to in real time and how can we best partner with him? The Apostle Paul uh, wrote a letter to a church in Colossae. We call it the book of Colossians. It was a congregation of Gentile Jesus followers, not a group of Jews, but um, Gentile followers of Christ. And Colossae is in what would now be modern day Turkey. Let me read uh, Colossians 1, 25 to 27. So here's Paul speaking to these Gentile Christians. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people, to the Jews. For God wanted them, the Jews, to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Look at this, drum roll. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. That is powerful. That's not WWJD. That's not what would the historical Jesus do if he were here. This is what is Jesus doing, this Christ who is in me. What is Jesus doing right now in real time and how can I partner with him? I love the 29th verse in this same chapter and I love how the NIV phrases it. So I'm gonna read that. And Paul says, to this end, to this, to this end of this gospel being for both Jew and Gentile, one people of God, uh, no Jew or Gentile, no slave, free, no rich, poor, um, one in Christ. He says, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I love that phrase, struggling with all his energy. Being a follower of Jesus in the first century or the 21st century is not easy. It is a struggle. We said last week that we don't live in some perma-vacation mode. We're living in a war zone. There is a spiritual war taking place. Life on planet Earth hurts. And it's hard. And Paul acknowledges this. He says, to this end of this gospel message, I labor and I struggle. But notice, I struggle with all his energy. See the difference in that? This is the Christ who lives in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I want to carry this thought right now into communion. So I'm going to invite you to take the bread or the cracker, uh, whatever you have. Um, and I want us to think about the fact that Jesus is in us. When you and I said yes to Jesus as Savior, Jesus cleaned house and he moved in. He is in you. I sometimes hear Christians say, oh, you know, I don't feel very close to Jesus or I want to get closer to Jesus. Friends, you can't get closer than Jesus in you. He's in you. And we need to grasp the, the awesomeness of that. 
And so Jesus, you know, we're talking about Acts chapter two. If you rewound seven weeks, you'd go back to Passover. And the scripture tells us that on the night that before Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And the scripture tells us that he broke bread and he passed it out to them. And he said, this bread, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time that you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And so I want us today to say thank you to the Christ, the living Christ who lives in us. Let's eat together. If you take the cup of juice or whatever you have available there. After the, the scripture tells us that after they ate the bread, Jesus uh, passed out uh, wine to each of them and said, this cup is the New Testament. This is the new covenant in my blood. His blood was shed as a ransom for many, for you and, and for me. And so we drink and we remember the living Jesus who lives in us, who shed his blood on the cross for us to give us freedom and a new life. Let's drink together. And the scripture said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. You show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life for us and that you rose again from the dead, that the grave is empty, validating everything you said. It's all true. Thank you, Jesus, that you live in us, Christ in us. Would you teach us to partner with you how to get in on what you're doing? Not simply to ask, what would the historical Jesus do if he were here? But what is the living Jesus up to? The Jesus who lives in me. What are you up to right now in real time in this moment? How are you leading me right now? What are you up to in our church right now? What are you up to in Haiti right now? Help us, Jesus, in our day-to-day this week. Help us, because we confess that life on planet Earth is hard, And it often hurts. But may we be aware, like Paul, that our labor and that our struggle, well, it can be with all your energy, Jesus. And we pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. God bless you.